2: Thank you. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup: Guy Domi, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, a stock's breakout to new all-time highs. Hedge fund legend Mark Yusko has a big warning for your money, why he says now is the time to double down on being defensive. Plus, bracing for a one-two punch, we're tracking two major storms in the Gulf of Mexico, how they are impacting the energy trade. And later, building big gains, the HomeBuilder ETF breaking out to new all-time highs as we gear up for earnings from one big name will bring you the trade. But first, we start off with the amazing Chase. The S&P 500 and Nasdaq closing at new all-time highs today, and the record move is forcing a bunch of Wall Street analysts to pay a big game of catch-up. Case in point, Apple is the world's biggest company, hits new highs. Morgan Stanley upping its price target on Apple to a new street high of $520 a share. Its previous price target below the current price, $431, which Apple Zoom passed, of course, at the start of the month. We're seeing a similar race playing out in shares of Tesla. The average analyst price target on the stock, 1247 Right now, the t- stock is trading above 2000 bucks a share. So what does this giant game of catch-up say about the stock market that we are in? Guy Adami.
3: Well, first of all, welcome back, Melms. Thank you. I mean, and they had you going all day long today. I mean, it's fantastic watching you host like every single show on your return. I just, I love that. So welcome back. So what does it say? Did you watch any baseball while you were gone? Yeah, I'm sure. going somewhere with this. So you,
4: go ahead. Yeah, of yeah, course keep you going. did.
3: So no doubt you, so, so no doubt you saw Mike Trout play. And I bring that up because to talk about just the absurdity of everything right now, a Mike Trout signed rookie card just sold at auction for almost four million dollars. And I don't point that out to be glib. I just point that out because, you know, everybody's chasing everything right now. And I think Apple's one of those things they're chasing. Now, Katie Huberty, I think she's been in front of this for a while, so I don't think she falls necessarily on somebody that's chasing. I think she's been ahead of the curve, the annals from Morgan Stanley. But clearly, people are going to start to chase, and that's what's manifesting itself in the market right now. I think it's important to point out, Apple traded almost 90 million shares today. That's almost three times normal volume, on what again is just a huge move to the upside i think technicians are going to watch these last couple days very closely for a potential reversal in the name the volume speaks volumes today in apple
4: mm-hmm.
5: it's the evolution of valuation I, I think we find creative ways not necessarily we, but uh... the analyst community and maybe we do too because we have to explain it uh, to, to take former cops and find new comps, and, and apple 's one of the greatest examples of that right It used to be a hardware company. Then we started going with a blended multiple. Now, if you look at katie huberty she 's talking about a free cash flow multiple she 's also comparing it to other uh, technology platforms uh, and talking about where Apple actually trades at a slight premium, or or even brands or or consumer platforms. So uh, we've we've come up with an entirely new way to to value Apple, and maybe that's fair with 555 million subscriber base, uh, services business, all types of ancillary. Uh, we've seen and we've dissected this over and over again, but that's what's happening. It's the evolution of valuation. Uh, and Katie Huberty, who in January had a 368 on the stock and was well out in front, and we talk about her all the time in a complimentary way. I think she's clearly one of the most thoughtful analysts uh, on, on Apple. But, you know, in July, she went from, I don't know, to three, 330 uh, up to 430 effectively when the stock had run after she had downgraded it after the crisis. So, I mean, it's like at some point you have to find different ways to value stocks. And we mentioned Tesla. Obviously, that is a, a name that people spend a lot of time figuring out very creative ways to value. But Apple, that's what today's upgrade was about, in my view.
2: At what point, though, does getting creative, Karen, um, sound the alarm for you in terms of justifying a valuation on a stock that that Wall Street may want to remain overweight on, but can't remain $100 under the current trade in terms of the price target?
6: Right. I mean, yeah, I find this game very difficult in that, you know, the... So I read the piece. It was interesting. Trying to find all right. Well, it's not a hardware company. Think of the hardware part as really more like Peloton. I think was one of the comps, and and then obviously the services business. And then let's not let's look at let's look at cash flow and what's the cash flow free cash flow number versus the rest of the market, and you know sort of um, turning themselves into a pretzel to find new ways of justifying a higher multiple. But kind of embedded in that is that this market will continue to retain this multiple, or perhaps even a higher multiple, if we see more stimulus, if we see the Fed do more. Um, So I, I mean, I'm long Apple. I hate that it went up however much on Friday over the stock split and today. Because obviously, we all know that's not creating any real value. I hate that kind of thing, but I come back to this again and again. I don't have a better alternative because I don't want to be in cash because I'm afraid of, value, of, of of inflation and therefore cash being worth less. So I guess fundamentally I'm sort of buying into that this market deserves a higher multiple because of that macro, and you want to be in great companies. And so then you back into a way to how do I come up with a higher multiple. I mean, I see the streets. I saw 27 buys 12, holds, and maybe a few sells, Um, but everyone's just sort of falling all all over themselves to be the highest on the street. I hate that kind of, um, I mean, I I like to see them come out with big earnings. That's the most important data to me.
2: Yeah, and and they had a big earnings report, the the last report, Dan, but still, that doesn't get you to finding creative ways to get to a valuation. Or does it? Is it that there is no alternative and so therefore you do find creative ways to stay in these sorts of stocks? Because it's not just Apple, as we mentioned, it's Tesla. It's any of these stocks, These, particularly the big tech stocks that people don't want to abandon yet because this is where uh, the gains are.
7: Well, they're clearly where the gains are. They're clearly winning this kind of this pandemic economy. And I think a lot of investors have just basically said nothing's going to change from here on out for these companies. I think the valuation thing is a hard one. You know, Amazon... Um, You know, was one of the best performing stocks in the last 25 years and there's not an analyst on earth who could really give a good reason why it should be trading at that valuation until it started to kind of grow into that valuation and it's still very stretched compared to its mega cap tech peers. So I guess we get um, a little creative with valuation stories when we are in the middle of a stock market or a risk asset mania and I think that's where we are here. Who knows when that's going to end one way or another. I will mention this though and I, I I was remarking you know apple opened up three percent today after closing up five percent on friday do the math on two trillion dollars in market cap that was just absolutely remarkable but then it sold off really hard amazon sold off really hard tesla sold off really hard they closed well off their highs but you know what started to rip is value we saw boeing just went straight up JP Morgan went straight up. Some of these uh, beaten up retailers, other names in transports, even that piece of junk, GE rallied up in a straight line. So, you know, with the S&P 500 <laughs> gapping up above the prior high here, I think investors are looking to broaden out this rally, possibly coming out of some of those mega cap techs into some beaten up stuff. They see the path at the end of the tunnel for this crisis. I don't know the health crisis. I don't know what they see um, through plasma. But to me, um, that's clearly the story of today. New highs and a dash for trash.
2: Let's get to uh, to some breaking news here on Delta. Let's get to Phil LeBeau for that. Phil.
8: We have been talking for some time about Delta needing to cut a number of jobs come October 1st if there's not a CARES Act 2. Well, today they have sent a letter to the pilots union detailing exactly how many pilots will have to be furloughed starting October 1st. And it comes out to 1,941 pilots. Now, there's a big caveat here. They are in the process of negotiating with the pilots saying, look, if we can work out a deal where we can spread out the flying, well, then maybe we don't have to furlough as many pilots. There are 11,200 active pilots, and Delta is essentially saying, look, we know we're only going to need about 9,400 for all the flights that we plan over the next 12 to 18 months. So as you take a look at the Airline Index. Keep in mind that Delta, along with the other uh, airlines, are supporting their unions who are really, it's the unions that are pushing hard for a CARES Act II, $25 billion. That would be new financing provided by Congress that would lock in airline jobs through the end of March. So if that happens, this may all be a moot point, but at this point, nobody's counting on a CARES Act 2 before September 30th. One last note as you take a look at shares of Delta, uh, keep in mind that the COO, Gil West, he is going to be retiring at the end of September. So, a couple of headlines worth keeping in mind with Delta. And this pilot thing, uh, Melissa, the furloughs, this is a negotiation. This is how yeah. it is with all the unions, with all of the airlines. The airlines saying, look, we're going to have to come out with lower staffing. And it's just a reality come October 1st, especially if there's not a CARES Act, too.
2: All right, Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau in Chicago. The airlines, we should know, taking flight today in the back of some big headlines on the vaccine front. AstraZeneca reporting the Trump administration is considering fast-tracking its experimental vaccine for use ahead of the November election. AstraZeneca says it hasn't discussed emergency authorization with the government, will not have trial results until later this year. And separately, the FDA granted emergency use authorization for convalescent plasma, a treatment that uses antibodies created by people who've recovered from COVID-19 to treat those infected with the virus. According to research from the Mayo Clinic, the treatment appears to reduce mortality in those transfused within three days of the COVID-19 diagnosis. Take a look there. Travel stocks all rallying. We're talking cruise lines. We're talking airlines, etc. Tim Seymour. Um, it's it's I don't know. What to, I mean, it, it's all about the vaccine for this group. And if it gets some more aid from the government, is, is, is that not smooth sailing, but does that sort of pave the way for at least a few more months for these stocks?
5: Well, for, the, for, for airlines specifically, CARES Act is basically a uh, is, is stimulus, right? It's fiscal. It's basically here, pay your workers, um, because and this is where the airlines have, have issues. And this is where some of the healthier balance sheets um, really are a bit of a standoff. It, it's not just about equity dilution. It's really uh, flying in the face of their desire to actually cut to a leaner. Uh, dynamic, which is what Phil was talking about. If you look at all travel stocks, they're not all created equal, and, and, and surprisingly, something like a bookings um, has fared relatively well. In fact, it's it's basically flat. It's down about five percent of the S and P since before COVID nineteen. They have cut costs dramatically. They are seeing bookings going out to the second half of the year. That is a case where mortality for a tech company, uh, effectively, even though it's also a, a, an online travel company, is not seen anywhere near as high, and therefore it's been actually very defensive. As people are willing to say. I can value this at 2022 20, multiple, which, if you do, it's at about 19 times, and it's an interesting company. But that—that's the decision investors have to make.
2: Would you go online travel uh, stocks, Dan, instead of the travel stocks?
7: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I think that not much is going to change when we get back on the other side of this virus about how people book. It may change how they travel. I think obviously last week we talked a little bit about Airbnb coming public maybe at the end of this year or sometime in the next few months. I mean, there's a company that is really changing how people travel. So I like those sorts of solutions that are very scalable. I mean, Expedia and Booking, they were great companies pre-pandemic. They just have a massive, massive revenue hole, right now. They have no visibility to the other side of it. I suspect to get uh, consumers traveling the way they were. It's going to take a lot longer than people think. I think this hopium around therapies and vaccines or whatever that's going to be any time in the next few months or even talking about election is just nonsense. The fact that you're ripping stocks, ripping the stock market on those sorts of headlines makes absolutely no sense to me.
2: All right. Well, as stocks keep trucking to new record highs. Your next guest says playing defense is your best strategy right now. Let's bring in Mark Yusko, the head of Morgan Creek Capital Management. Mark, great to see you. Welcome back. Hey,
9: Melissa, thanks for having me. And, you know, before we dive in, I just wanted to channel a little m from 8 Mile and say, look, I, I know, you know, all the bad stuff you guys are gonna say about me, so let's get it out of the way first, right? At the beginning of the year, I used the, the bear market word, and uh, I am happy to report, obviously, that uh, things didn't turn out quite as negative as we thought. The great news on the other side of that is our long short fund up about 3X, the market's up about 15% instead of five, and then the second thing, when we were together just a few months ago, uh, I did talk to you about how all the economic pain I thought was still ahead of us, mm-hmm. and uh, the market just doesn't seem to care. So now we've got that out of the way, fire away.
2: <laughs> so, so, you, But you still think that there's a reckoning? I mean, even though the market doesn't seem to care about this all, you're still sticking to your guns? Yeah, look, I,
9: I, I feel like the risk-reward really hasn't changed much since you and I started this conversation, it's amazing, almost two years ago in October of 2018. And you know we were at record valuations then, we're, we're back to those record valuations again, in fact, worse because earnings have actually declined. I mean, you look at since March 23rd, right, where the PE got down to as low as 17, we're up to 29.2 for the overall market. And certain stocks, you guys were just talking about Apple, you know, Apple's PE's gone from 15 to 33, just kind of sillyville. So uh, we think the risk reward is tough here. One of the things we talked about last time in June was how the nominal value of stocks is up a little bit. It is actually up, you know, five percent for the year. But when you look in real terms, when you denominate in gold instead of dollars, we're actually down 20 percent. And over the last again. Uh, 19, 20 months that you and I have been talking, we're down almost 44 percent because of this devaluation of the currency that's going on. So a lot better places to put capital today are gold, gold miners, uh-huh. silver, silver miners, so, real assets. And then, you know, my favorite, Bitcoin.
2: So so in your long, short fund, and, and I'll go there because that's where you cite your outperformance. What are your your biggest trades, yeah. your your big gainers that you're still in?
9: Yeah. So. Th- yeah, thank you. So um if we think about the, the long short model, right, you, you have to be long certain things. And, and we have been long technology, particularly outside the U.S., particularly in China. That's been our best winning trade are what we call our top 20, which is our 20 concentrated longs from that long short portfolio. We run that as a separate account as well. That's up almost 50, percent this year. So that's been great names like C Limited uh, and uh, um, Tencent. So Chinese tech is, has been really doing much better even than the fangs. Uh, the second thing is on the short side, finally, the great separation is occurring. And you've seen some of the companies that were over levered and struggling, uh, like the retailers and others actually go down. And, and I'm with the traders on this 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 euphoria over the vaccine. Look, the vaccine is like last year's trade deal headline. There was no trade deal. There was never a trade deal. There's not gonna be a trade deal. There's no vaccine not going to be a vaccine. You can't make a vaccine for coronavirus. So as far as I know. Hey, Mark, so I don't know this m M&M guy. I, I like
3: that this slim shady person, but I'm not sure about the m M&M. But with that said, I wasn't going to say anything negative. I mean, I'm, I admire your work. <laughs> Same guy. We've said that for a while. But you, you mentioned October 2018. I think that's important because it coincides, as you know, with Jerome Powell stepping in and saying, you know, lowering the balance sheet was on autopilot. we were going to raise rates and the market went down almost 20 percent in a month and a half. They've obviously backtracked since. I thought the market rallied today at the end of the day because there was a news alert that uh, Jerome Powell was going to make a profoundly consequential speech on Thursday about how the Fed measures inflation, which is fallot, which is folly. But that, that's neither here nor there. Is it just that simple, yep. though, the fact that this the Fed is there and they're going to continue to be there and they're going to continue to move the goalposts?
9: I think you're dead spot on. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. Look, interest rates are down 62%. Now, it doesn't mean we went from 63 to one, but uh, we went from over 2% 10-year to 60 basis points. Let that sink in. People are going to lend the government money for 10 years at 60 basis points. And the direction of interest rates, we think, is in a death spiral. We think they're all going negative. Every interest rate in the world uh, over the next decade will be negative because there's no way out, right? If you have a lot of debt, you can either pay it back no way they can pay it back. You can restructure it. No one's gonna take the restructured deal. You can default on it, but then you get kicked out of office or you can inflate it away through devaluing your currency. And to your point, that's exactly what Jerome Powell and all the other central bankers have done. And that's why I quote the gold, right? Gold prices are rocketing and you've made more money in gold stocks, the new Fang, F-A-A-A-N-G, Franco Nevada, Anglico Eagle, uh, Anglo Gold, Ashanti, Uh, Newmont uh, and Barrick, Uh, and there's one other A in there, but those guys are up on average 120% since March. And look, the Nasdaq's up 65, and they're up twice as much. So it's a devaluation of the currency because the empire has too much debt.
2: Mark, great to speak with you. We'll see you soon. Mark Gusko. No, thanks for having me. Take care, guys. Um, That new FAANG is almost as catchy as Dan's MAGA. Uh, Dan, I'm not sure what you think of Mark's trades here. Mm.
7: Well, you better not lose yourself in the market. Um just to quote a little Marshall Mathers here. I I mean listen, here here's the deal. I yeah. I think um You know, Mark makes a really good point. You know, he just said, listen, you know, the market is one thing and the economy is another thing. And, you know, we saw some decent data um, last week on the economy. I think that kind of flowed through into this week. But who knows how this thing goes without expanded unemployment benefits. When you think about, you know, where we are as far as the market's concerned and where we are in the economy, we had that front end loaded fiscal and monetary stimulus. And it seems to be waning a little bit. And that's the one reason why I would say that the market. You could probably take a breather here now that we're back at those prior highs in the S&P 500, especially as we are not likely to get fiscal stimulus to the levels that we had just a couple months ago.
2: Tim, quickly on Mark's Chinese Internet uh, picks.
5: Well, I, I, Tencent and Alibaba are two of my bigger positions. And if you just want to buy the EEM, what's really interesting about emerging markets, because you're you used to be buying a lot of you know, garbage Chinese banks and life insurance companies in that ETF. The top 30 percent of that are all leading edge tech companies, including Taiwan Semi, which we've talked about all the time. So it's another way to get that exposure with the yuan uh, having stabilized because of the dollar weakness. Yes, I, I, you know, I, I do believe in that trade and it, it has done very well. And I think uh, you know, Taiwan Semi, uh, if you look at that chart, but more importantly, you look at what they're, they're going to be doing for Qualcomm outsourcing. We've heard about the Intel news. I think that stock goes higher.
2: All right. Coming up, we are live along the Gulf of Mexico, where we are tracking not one, but two major storms, how they could have major impacts on the energy markets. And later, technical difficulties. We'll tell you what happened to Zoom video today. That could be a big test for back to school. we got the details and Fast Money returns.
10: You seek the key.
2: We've got a news alert. Asana filing for an IPO. Deidre bose has got the latest. Debo.
0: Hey, Melissa. This is the workplace productivity software company founded by Facebook co founder Dustin Miskovich. Uh, just filing for an IPO on the New York Stock Exchange, it was last valued at $1.5 billion in November of 2018. Notable early investors include some very familiar names in Silicon Valley, including Peter Thiel, Mark Zuckerberg, Sam Altman, Roger McNamee, who we hear from on our program often. Um, a Bloomberg report, though, recently citing sources saying that Asana has been trading for roughly five billion market cap on the secondary market. Um, Melissa, I'm just digging through the S1 right now. The company nearly doubled revenue in 2019 from the year before. Net losses though, they more than doubled to nearly 120 million from 51 million in 2018. Um, I also just have to note here, Melissa, this is the sixth software company to file an IPO today. The others are Unity, Sumo Logic, JFrog, Snowflake. And just as I was coming t- to air, I saw another flash Amwell moments ago. So it is an IPO software. IPO poliza, Melissa, back to you.
2: All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa, let's switch gears here. We're following a developing story in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, you're taking a look right now at radar images of two major storms barreling towards the U.S. coast. NBC News' Chris Pallone is live in Lake Charles, Louisiana with the very latest. Hey, Chris.
1: Yeah, hey there, Melissa. You know, for people who are used to dealing with hurricanes on a regular basis, even this is a rare event. You have two tropical systems that could theoretically hit the Gulf Coast area within the span of just a couple of days. And as you can see, Marco is somewhat fizzling out right now. Most of the precipitation is being kept Uh, in the Florida Panhandle area and into Alabama as some high wind shear is knocking this tropical storm down. However, that's not what people here in Lafayette, Louisiana, are worried about. They are watching Laura, which is down near Cuba at this point. It's expected to enter the Gulf of Mexico soon and could be striking here late Wednesday into Thursday, possibly as a Category 2 or Category 3 Hurricane that could be anywhere from uh, this area all the way over into texas perhaps in the uh, uh, houston or corpus christi area so we're continuing to watch the forecast as you mentioned earlier this storm these two storms are having an effect on the world oil production and production here in the united states there are more than 600 oil rigs and drilling facilities out in the gulf Uh, More than 100 of them have been shut down and evacuated as of yesterday. That had shut down about 58 percent of the Gulf's oil production. Melissa?
2: Chris, thanks. Chris Pallone. Uh, Let's check out some of the major refiners in the Gulf. Phillips 66, Exxon, Valera, Marathon Petroleum, while moving to the upside today as the storm's approach. Uh, So let's give this a world guy, you know, once upon a time, it's interesting because we didn't really see too much of a reaction in the oil markets or even in that gas markets. So once upon a time, we would have seen a sharp reaction there in addition to the oil stocks.
3: You know, it's interesting. I think the, to your point, 10 years ago, maybe yes, but now I think they've retrofitted so many of these, these, uh, these, these businesses and, and these offshore rigs and stuff to the point where you know, the storms are not that major in terms of what they can do to these places. With that said, you saw a big move in Valero today. If you look, just technically, Valero 53 has been levels of support for a while now. But the name I want to talk about quickly, and Tim probably agrees, is Halliburton. If you go back a week or so ago, Goldman Sachs just added it to their conviction buy list. I think they put a $20 price target on it. And this stock has had this little slow, steady climb over the last couple of weeks. I think that's a name that can continue to rally uh, not necessarily on this news, but in the environment that we find
5: ourselves in.
2: Tim, you're long Halberton.
5: I'm long which is of, of the two probably the underperformer. But if you if you look at and coming out of the earnings cycle, both of these guys cut divs uh, and are balance sheet rationalization mode and, and actually actually um, free cash flow mode looking forward is is part of the story. So it's a it's a slow re-rating. I, I do think as we start to see, um, follow Brent prices too because they've been jammed here between forty-four and forty-five bucks. Really, for the last six weeks, Um, this may be um, some spark to take you above what I think is really just a technical consolidation. But I agree with everybody here. Uh, You know, supply disruption has never been the trade here. Uh, It's certainly not a trade worth buying in the energy space when you're effectively in a bear market. It was during Katrina. I was trading back in 2005 um, and that put people out of business. Uh, But it's a different market. And and I think that's well flagged. I do like the oil service guys with the best balance sheets in the U.S. for the long term.
2: Uh, Karen, is there value in the sector? Or just value traps? Uh,
6: I don't know. I mean, there is value. There's also balance sheet risks. So, you know, I I agree with Tim. You go with the best and you go with the best balance sheets. But my mind sort of jumps to when I hear multiple storms of like a Home Depot. What kind of destruction is there on land and what, you know, what kind of rebuilding gets done? But I agree. It's it's interesting how oil really itself, the commodity, didn't really react to this at all, though the the refiners did.
2: All right. We've got some uh, breaking news here. Additions to the Dow Jones industrial average. Um, Salesforce.com, Amgen, and Honeywell set to join the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Um, Salesforce will replace ExxonMobil. That's an interesting one. Amgen will replace Pfizer on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Honeywell will replace Raytheon Technologies. This is a major overhaul of the Dow. Um, So we have these three stocks entering the Dow all at once, A a revamping of the Dow, maybe to reflect Where the economy is better uh, at this point in time. Uh, Dan, your thoughts on on these moves?
7: Yes, CRM, Salesforce, interesting one. You always hear BK say that data is the new oil. Well, you think about this company, it's a $187 billion market cap company with $20 billion in sales. They touch probably almost every major industry in every major geographic on the planet. So talk about a company that is really, truly industrial. Um, I think they deserve to be in there. And to that lax conversation, I mean, look at Exxon. We were just talking about the energy. It can't get out of its own way. It was about to make a new two, three-month low just on Friday's close (laughs) before these two storms came in. So I like the addition of Salesforce. Yeah. Guy? Amgen is
3: fascinating. You go back and look, and we've talked about Amgen for a while. That's probably the best in breed in biotech 235 had been a huge monster double top. It blew through it recently. We did what we call in trader parlance a back and fill to that level, and now with this news, the stock is probably around 240. I think the risk reward for Amgen sets up really well. And just quickly, uh, for you folks that say GE never had a chance, I mean GE and Honeywell for a long time were effectively very similar companies. And just look at the outperformance over a 10-year period. The Honeywell to GE. Honeywell basically did everything right. And this is not to cast aspersions, but GE basically did everything wrong. And I think Honeywell's being rewarded for it now.
2: Yeah, so oil in the Dow, its presence gets reduced dramatically with the, with the expulsion of ExxonMobil in favor of software company. Um, biotech over Big Pharma with Amgen over Pfizer. Honeywell over Raytheon. Um, Karen, I know that the Dow is not the index that we typically follow, but America follows this index. And this says maybe a lot about what the economy right. is today. I'm surprised it doesn't have alternative energy.
6: Yeah. Right? To me, the Pfizer-Amgen switch is, I get it, sort of. But to go from an Exxon, you know, I think you would go from an Exxon to, a, I don't know, a, a, you know, a Tesla electronic vehicle, electric vehicles, something like that. I, I think, yeah, the, the Dow has had its day. One day, I just wanted to make one comment for Givi. GE tried to buy Honeywell maybe 15 years ago and they were denied, which is unfortunate for GE, given the path that those two companies have taken. (laughs)
2: What's what's also worth noting that with the stock split of Apple uh, this evening, Apple will actually have less of an impact on the Dow in terms of its move than these three new additions, Tim. So this is also a change in how this index will in fact trade on a daily basis.
5: Well, and if you think about where Salesforce will at least supplement some of that that lost mojo from Apple, that's exactly right. This is all extraordinary. And I I do think, although we don't talk a lot about the Dow, and I think we're focused on the S&P rightly so, um, as you point out, the Dow is uh, very important for a lot of folks. And these changes, I mean, Exxon is is an American uh, icon. Getting kicked out of the Dow is an extraordinary moment uh, in history. And it also points out where this index does need to compete with the triple Qs and even the S&P. The Raytheon move, not surprising, just because they spun out Carrier and Otis Mm -hmm. and there's been some changes there. And I think the Honeywell move makes a lot of sense. But these other moves are are massive and they do have implications for the tone uh, and the style of these indices going forward.
2: Yeah, And there are some ETFs that are actually indexed to the Dow. So this is worth watching. But interesting, this this major revamp coming just as Apple is set to split its stock all right we've got a lot more coming up your way on fast money here's what is coming up next
3: TikTok takes on trump the social media company suing the u.s government the latest on the brewing battle straight ahead and later putting the pedal to the metal we'll tell you what sent shares
10: of gm into overdrive today fast money is back after this quick break
2: Welcome back to Fast Money, TikTok taking a stand, the social media company firing back at President Trump's efforts to ban it from operating here in the U.S. Let's get to Julia Borson with the very latest. Julia.
12: Well, Melissa, today TikTok posted a blog announcing that it's suing the U.S. government over its decision to ban the service in the U.S., saying that it doesn't take suing the government likely, but that, quote, with the executive order threatening to bring a ban on our U.S. operations, eliminating the creation of 10,000 American jobs and irreparably Harming the millions of Americans who turn to this app for entertainment, connection and legitimate livelihoods that are vital, especially during the pandemic. We simply have no choice. TikTok saying the Trump administration has ignored its efforts to engage and address the administration's concerns. That TikTok faced a lack of due process, the Trump administration giving a no comment on this lawsuit. Now, as for the reports that Mark Zuckerberg warned of the rising threat of Chinese internet companies, of course, including TikTok, which prompted a national security review of TikTok, today, Trump advisor Peter Navarro telling CNBC that Zuckerberg had no impact on the White House's decision. Guys, back over to you.
2: All right, Julia, thank you, Julia Borson. For more on TikTok's latest move, let's bring in Jeffrey's analyst, Jared Weisfeld. Jared, great to have you with us.
11: Thanks for having me again.
2: Um, what's your interpretation of this news? I mean, there's, there's one train of thought that could be that TikTok is just simply trying to bide some time in order to get the bids a little higher here, uh, and that ultimately it still wants to sell itself.
11: For sure. Listen, from a TikTok perspective, there was really no downside because they're really backed into a corner here. If you just take a step back to put things in context, the Trump administration issued two executive orders in a time span of about two weeks, first on August 6th and then on August 14th, both going to effectively trying to dismantle the TikTok operation here in the United States. So TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, based in China, Basically, was ordered by the U.S. government to go ahead and shut down operations within a 90-day window, as per the second executive order. So, from a TikTok perspective, not much to lose. To your point, um, perhaps it it buys some time. There are obviously um, a bunch of bidders that have been um, circulated that could own this asset, from from Microsoft to uh, to Oracle to Twitter. So, you know, when you think about trying to prevent a fire sale and buy some more time, there's really no downside. I'd also add, you know, while I'm. While I'm not an attorney, you know, when you think about the ability or the willingness of a federal court to overturn something on grounds of national security, you know, the odds are, are, are probably pretty low. So, um, so, again, no downside, but certainly makes sense from a strategic perspective.
7: So, hey Jared, does this? You you know, obviously Microsoft would love to have TikTok. There's probably others that would love to have it. Does this lawsuit now make it very unlikely that there would be any sort of agreed upon deal? You know, between now and let's say mid mid September, um, or will they really get the time that they need and try to wait this thing out?
11: Yeah, I uh, a great question. I don't think this impacts the sale process whatsoever. I think if you think about the decision-making tree, uh, there was no downside from a TikTok perspective to go ahead and, uh, and, uh, and, and go down this path. And at the same time, I do think it preserves the optionality to go ahead and perhaps get a better price on the other side. When you think about the bidders that have emerged, Microsoft has indicated that they are going to have a decision hopefully by by September 15th. And um, and as per press reports, Microsoft certainly seems like they're they're in the lead now. We've talked about this before. It makes a lot of sense from a strategic perspective when you think about the ability to marry in. Uh, TikTok from a gaming perspective, on the back end with Azure, I think there are a lot of synergies that make a lot of sense in terms of Microsoft plus TikTok, but uh, I don't think this would uh, jeopardize the uh, the process. I think it's more of a I think it's just a very smart legal strategy with, with limited downside.
6: Karen, let me ask you something. Normally in a bidding process, the highest bidder who's capable of paying would end up being the winner, but this is such an unusual process. Do you see maybe the Trump administration favoring an oracle over maybe not microsoft but maybe over other bidders
11: it's it's certainly a uh, a bizarre process and and to your point i had a lot of incoming questions when the oracle um when oracle was announced as a potential as a potential bidder given there's no obvious synergy with their base business except for the fact that the uh the oracle c suite is very close with the trump administration so it's a very bizarre process microsoft certainly seems like the most logical buyer if you think about the heritage of tiktok here in the us uh, it's a former Microsoft employee that actually runs TikTok. So I think there's not only is there natural synergy, but I think, you know, when you think about culture of the organization, it makes a lot of sense uh, from a TikTok Microsoft perspective. But to your point, you know, as with everything with this administration, I think there are there are a lot of question marks. And I think, uh, you know, the, the Oracle angle is, is certainly interesting in light of the, uh, the political alignment.
2: Last quick question, Jared. Uh, does the success so far of Facebook's reels make TikTok more or less valuable?
11: It's a really good question. I mean, Facebook has had so much success in the past from a copycat strategy perspective, and you know that's certainly one of the reasons why you know, a lot of the regulators have have been down on their backs. But I think. You know, I think it speaks to the market opportunity more than anything else. I think TikTok has been so successful in terms of implementing their algorithms. They know exactly what their users want, downloaded 180 million times in the US alone uh, before the user even wants it. So I do think that you know, while, while clearly you can't dismiss Facebook as a, as a threat, I think the value proposition is certainly real in terms of what TikTok offers.
2: Jared, great to speak with you, thank you. Thanks again. Guy, I know you're on both the talk and uh, you're also on Reels. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah it's amazing that i can be on Good both job. platforms at the same time and i was able to buy them both at the application store recently over the weekend when i had some time but what i find just the most of all the absurd things that are going on in the world the fact that now somehow the u.s government acts as an investment banker is taking a chop out of whatever deal is <laughs> going to happen is is just fascinating to me and i you know i say it somewhat in jest but now, you think about that moving forward, that sets a really dangerous precedent, in my opinion, or maybe not. I mean, maybe they should be getting a 4% investment banking fee, and maybe I'm way off base, and maybe I am the OK boomer that Dan things seems to think I am. But I will tell you, you know, the government picking and choosing who's going to be in a bidding deal or not, that is some really dangerous ramifications, despite what Peter Navarro might think.
2: Coming up, a new high for home builders, But will the red-hot sector keep up its momentum? The one name you've got to watch, plus shares of Palo Alto Networks down. Big after earnings will break down the numbers. And more on this breaking news that just crossed. Big changes coming to the big board. Salesforce, Amgen, Honeywell all being added to the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Exxon, Pfizer, Raytheon, they are all out. We'll get more reaction when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Palo Alto Networks. So the stock dropping after hours on earnings. Josh Lipton's got the latest. Hey, Josh.
13: So, Melissa, I checked in with Andrew Nowinski over DA Davidson. He covers the name. I wanted Andy's quick take. Uh, he would say this was a fantastic quarter, in his words. The beat on Billings... One of the biggest beats, he says, in a long time for this company. Product and subscription segments exceeding expectations, though he also notes the upside in Q4 billings, and that clocked in at $1.4 billion, didn't flow through, he says, into stronger October billings guidance. And that could explain, uh, Andy's saying, some of the disappointment you're seeing here in the after hours. CEO Nikesh Aurora on the call, speaking of the pandemic, the resulting economic uncertainty, says the firm has adapted and posted great results. Did note that some companies are becoming more cash conscious. The macro environment, he says, still uncertain. And speaking of trends in 2021, Nikesh saying the work from home trend will challenge his company's hardware business. It's going to be a tough business, he says, in the quarters ahead. But he's arguing that should be supplemented by more software solutions. Executives were asked, to Andy's point, more about that Q1 Billings forecast. They said, listen, a lot of uncertainty and they are going to want to be prudent. He also did talk about this new $265 million acquisition of the Crypsis Group. This is a cyber consulting company. Nakeshwar saying that's going to allow uh, his company to serve as a more broader set of customers. For more on this print, by the way, tune in tonight uh, to Mad Money. Jim Kramer sitting down and speaking with Nakeshwar about the quarter. Melissa, back to you.
2: Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton. Guy Dami, where do you go with Palo Alto?
3: 248 is the level you buy it. This was a great quarter. They guided higher for the first quarter. The only thing not to like about it is people will talk about valuation and maybe they didn't beat by enough. And if you go back and look, I mean, historically, this is a name that seems to sell off every single time they report. 248, though, was a high we made back in February, then faded from. I think that's where you buy it. And I'll say that it's amazing in our San Francisco bureau. You have Debo Nose, which Dan Nathan coined that, but that's a great nickname. And the wonderful Josh Lipton, who just gets smarter and better looking every single time he's on the television. It's remarkable. I
2: feel sort of uncomfortable with all the, all the compliments coming out of you, Guy. Wow. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, we have a great bureau. And Kay Rogers is out there now. FYI. There you go. Anyway, coming up, big changes coming to a benchmark index. We'll bring you all the details. Plus, HomeBuilder is hitting another record high, but is this rally built on a sturdy foundation? Our traders will weigh in when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The housing trade has been red hot. The XHB HomeBuilder ETF hitting a new all-time high today, and it's more than doubled from the March low. So is it time to close the door? on this winning trade. Tim, what do you say?
5: No, it's not. Look, rates are at zero. Um, People are moving into houses anywhere they can, and they're building out. You know, if you look at the XHB, it's not just home builders, though. It's more importantly, it's materials. It's HVAC, like train uh, and and carrier, for example, in terms of HVAC. And and if you look at Masco and you look at Whirlpool is the biggest weighted stock in there. Um, These are trends that are not going away. And as someone that's replaced an HVAC uh, and multiple appliances since COVID happened, uh, these guys have you where they want you. Uh, I think this trade goes higher. Again, rates are at zero. People are borrowing against their houses. They're buying new houses. And as long as rates stay where they are, this trade's going to work.
2: One of guys' dogs seems to not like that. I agree with Tim. No, 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 that
3: that is is a tacit endorsement of what Tim just said. I guess Rocky and Russell.
2: Oh, both of them. Okay, Karen, you go on the builder side or more the retailer side or the supplier side? Well,
6: actually, I mean, Home Depot um, and Lowe's. But I like the builders, too. I mean, you know, they came in without a big oversupply at all. And then you have a giant shift in demand. And we're finally seeing millennials who we complained about they never want to buy a home, really rushing out there to buy a home. And I don't, think, I don't think we've worked through all of that. So I agree with Tim. I don't think you abandon this trade at all. I think we've got a while to go. And with rates here, uh, I, I mean, it, it's the only part of it that doesn't set up perfectly well is potential unemployment, which has obviously peaked a ton. But for the white-collar workers or those that have jobs, I I think we're going to continue to see great home-building numbers.
2: All right. One of these builders reports earnings after the close tomorrow, and options traders are betting it could break out to its highest levels of the year. Mike Coe's got the action. Mike.
1: Uh, there, yeah. We're talking about Toll Brothers, which is going to be reporting earnings. It traded more than four times the average daily call volume. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about 7.8% by the end of the week. That's a little bit more than the 6.1% or so that the stock has averaged over the past eight quarters. And the most active options were the September 46 calls. About 3,000 of those traded for about two and a quarter. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that the earnings news and everything that follows going into September expiration could be positive, and the stock will be at least. higher in the next four weeks or so.
2: All right. Thanks for that, Mike. For more Options Action, tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. If you're just joining us, we've got big big breaking news on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It is getting basically a makeover. Salesforce, Amgen, Honeywell set to join the Dow, replacing ExxonMobil, Pfizer, and Raytheon. Let's get more reaction. Joining us now is Howard Silverblatt, Senior Index Analyst at S&P Dow Jones Indices. Howard, great to have you with us. Um, What do you think these moves reflect?
4: Well, it reflects the market, uh, and there's a fourth item in there, and that's Apple's, uh, uh, split that also takes effect. Basically, Apple by itself, forgetting the three changes, took the technology group within, uh, the Dow from 27.6% down to 20.3. Okay, a significant decline. Uh, we use that as a, uh, an additional item. In uh, making the adjustment by adding Salesforce, you come back to about 23.1% of the Dow being in technology. The other changes also uh, reflected more what the market is doing, especially the United Technologies. When they did the spinoff, came became Raytheon, mm-hmm. so the adding of, of Honeywell more in, in, in this field. And, of course, Amgen as compared to, to, to Pfizer, uh, which is, is more current at this point in time.
2: How much money if you know this Howard how much money is actually indexed to the Dow Jones industrial average I mean obviously the s p 500 is is the big one, right. but there are I, e- I, ETFs that are indexed uh, to the Dow
4: I do I do not have the current okay. ones but this will cause a, an amount of, of change that they're going to have to do they'll be selling obviously uh, seven buying some seven issues here the ads the deletes, and the Apple uh, so it will be a bit of a, a, a a cost factor on them and there will be a drag on their performance because of that.
2: Yeah. What's remarkable, though, Howard, if you think about how the Dow will trade once these inclusions are made is that Apple, the biggest company in the world, will now be a much lesser impact on the Dow than even a Salesforce. Yeah.
4: force. Yes. Uh, app, Apple will have that performance based on tonight's 2.99%, just under 3%. They are right now before the support 122 But sales uh, salesforce we will have almost five, Amgen 5.6, Honeywell 3.8. So all those additions will have more of a weight than Apple will. Uh, to some degree, the the uh, weighting of Apple, because it's foot is profit-taking is to some degree. You, you've locked in the three-quarters of your shares, but you've also reallocated them to the next. So it's definitely going to be a different index uh, on this going forward.
2: You've uh, been in the space for quite some time, Howard. I mean, I remember <laughs> calling you up when I was a cub reporter. Um, in terms of the, the amount of, of changes that have just been announced today and will happen over the next, you know, 24 hours or so or, or however long it takes to have these inclusions, um, is this uh, an unusual thing? It, it,
4: it's extremely unusual, yeah. the amount of changes. I mean, we've had four it historically changes in the Dow. This is a massive amount, especially when you add in uh, apples, which we wasted significantly. So we expect to see a lot of action on that, a lot of buying and selling, uh, and it definitely will have a lot of performers out there showing the the, uh, the new and old makeups, you know, of that. Uh, again, technology still is going down from 27.6 down to 23.1. Uh, which is a significant change, in their health care also picks up from 14.2 to 18.6. So there's a, a lot of variance in there as uh, compared to what the prior Dow makeup was.
2: Howard, great to speak with you and get your analysis of this uh, breaking news. Appreciate it. Howard, Sil- Howard Silverblatt of S&P. Um, it's remarkable to think about the weighting, overall weighting on, of technology in the Dow going down slightly, healthcare going up, Tim.
5: It sounds like uh, Right. I mean, scrambling really to be more uh, representative of where the market is. And and it is it's uh, like we we at times are critical of a price weighted index for moments like this. Um, And or, you know, should should Salesforce be a bigger play than who, who knows? Um, but I think the significance here is that uh, you have to be representative. And, and we talk about how European indices, especially the DAX, underperform. And no matter what, they're going to underperform because they have no technology and they have no mega cap tech plays. Um, so I, I think uh, the, the Dow is very aware of this. And there are you know dynamics at work. I, I think Exxon out of the Dow is a historic day. Uh, and it really tells you and it punctuates what's happened to the energy sector. But but Exxon is, is uh, one of the great, proud, uh, you know, members of this index. And clearly, this is a sad day.
2: It's, it, it is amazing to think, Guy, um, that Exxon goes out. I, it's like when GE went out. I mean, there's certain, you know, iconic U.S. companies that go out and you're like, wow.
3: Yeah. No. And listen, we've talked about the, you know the existential risk to Exxon. Think about all the headwinds they were facing. And then sort of ESG investing has come with a whirlwind and that's not going away anytime soon, that obviously huge existential risk and now this news, I mean it's very hard to make a compelling reason to own Exxon Mobil the stock and you know I don't know where it's going to trade tomorrow, but those lows we saw probably back in March are within the crosshairs for sure and probably unfortunately rightly so.
2: Yeah, uh, Dan, Salesforce also reports tomorrow, so this is interesting news for Salesforce ahead of the earnings.
7: Yeah, it doesn't help. The stock's trading at a new all-time high here. Expectations yeah. pretty high. Um, listen, you know, people have to buy these things for index purposes. But um, just like Palo Alto had a good quarter, the stock can still sell off a little a uh, little bit, consolidate probably some of these recent gains.
2: Yeah, 4% moves across the board pretty much for all of these new uh, Dow components. Time for the final trade now. So let's go around the horn. Karen Feinerman. Ah, I like Home Depot. I'm out bullish on the housing housing front. Tim Seymour. Yeah, yeah, we talked about Chinese
5: tech. Alibaba, stay there. Stay long.
2: Dan, you guys are so succinct. You know, we've got a little time. You can expound on your thoughts. Oh, okay, um, but well, I, I, guess, I could talk forever. Well, we know that.
7: That's for sure. <laughs> All
2: right. Um, We're glad to have you back. Glad <laughs> to have you back, Mel. It's good to be back. Dan Nathan, final trade. Good.
7: You know, I think this TikTok thing is really interesting here, and I'd be really surprised. For years, people thought that no one could buy Twitter or Snapchat, that sort of thing. If there is a deal for TikTok, I think there is a deal for Twitter and a deal for Snapchat. These are much better features of larger platforms than standalones, in my opinion.
2: Your dogs guy have any thoughts on these uh, Dow editions?
7: Many
3: thoughts. Unfortunately, I think they're eating dinner now. And I know you Googled Mike Trout in the break because I know you have no idea who Mike Trout is. And I do think this Amgen's big news, I think it's going to hold that level of support. And I think it's going higher from here, Melms.
2: All right. Thanks for watching Fast. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Framer. Framer. Starts right now.
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets?